Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mine Wall podcast, the podcast where we discuss everything mining and everything mining digital specifically. We've got some very interesting guests with us this morning. Our show today will be specifically discussing the relationship between MineRP and IBM and our joint relationship and our separate relationships to mining or with mining, I should say. The international mining market is a big one and IBM is certainly no new player in this area. So I've got two very interesting guests from IBM here today, Dirk Klassens and Vish Nairan, and I'll ask them to introduce themselves in a minute. And also from MineRP, John McGannon is, is with us this morning. Uh, so I'm going to, uh, to kick this off and, and I'm going to ask that uh, our guests from IBM introduce themselves to us uh, very quickly. Shall we start with you, Dirk, please? Thanks, MP. Uh, good morning, everyone. So my name is Dirk Lassens. I'm with IBM. I've been with IBM for about 20 years now. Uh, I'm a commercial engineer, as we call it here in Belgium, by, by training. And I started off my career in natural resources with the British Petroleum here on the left bank in Antwerp at the uh, petrochemical complex they have there. So I moved on, joined IBM, like I said, 20 years ago, and I've been working in the industrial sector for most of my career. When it really kicked off as far as natural resources is concerned is when I was asked to relocate to Shanghai in China uh, and to become uh, responsible for the industrial sector for what we call then the growth markets unit. And one of the main things I did there was to create natural resource solution centers across the globe, in fact, growth market. So it was in Perth, Western Australia, in Singapore, and then in Rio, in Brazil as well. So we, from there, we started developing our solutions of relevance for the natural resources industry in its broadest definition. So I did that for a number of years, and um, in fact, it worked quite well. And and so I was asked to uh, to take on a global responsibility on the back of that, which was the global lead for uh, what we call industrial products, which includes mining. So I was globally responsible for the mining industry which is really around that time, and now I'm talking 2013, 2014, when I got in contact with MineRP and all the wonderful things they're doing. I was asked to run that business out of uh, Rio in Brazil, dealing with, of course, with the local clients we have there, but then, like I said, with uh, the clients we have across the world also, and really got interested in, in the concepts around MineRP's views on, uh, on how mining should be done, mine planning, and, uh, and so on. And we, uh, we worked together and worked together well. On the back of that, I was asked to go to, to Singapore to run the analytics business for, uh, this is cross industry for uh, Asia Pacific. And then back to Belgium, uh, which is what I'm doing now, which is uh, responsible for the Shell integrated accounts, as we call them, one of the biggest accounts we have, and the managing director of that account globally. So, and now we found a way of collaborating between Shell, MineRP, and the mining industry, which of course is very exciting and I'm looking forward to. So, in a nutshell, that's uh, that's me. Oh, that's very exciting, Dirk. And- uh, listening to that, you know, I realize how long we've we've known each other and how long we've been working together and servicing this industry already. Vish, it's, it's also been since that time that you've been involved, uh, not only in this relationship, but but certainly in IBM, you are you almost part of the furniture, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Good morning, guys. My name is Vish Narayan. I'm the CTO for AI Lab Services, and I've been involved in the industrial sector for 30 years across from discrete to batch to continuous. And in the last 10 years, I've been following along with Zerp when we established the Natural Resources Center for Competency for Developing Solutions. And how do I introduce AI into the space? Data is and data is addressed and volume of data varying and pushing analytics and infusing analytics into this domain, whether it's related to the process or to equipment or to safety. 
as being a clear value proposition brought to the table and develop solutions working and definitely in that process engaged with MineRP in doing some of those integration aspects in South Africa and validating the data in motion and be able to apply what if in terms of optimization models. So that's where my journey got into mining specific, but continuous industry has been the area where I've been driving solutions. And we are re-engaged back in this process of how we collaborate for mining and in terms of how we apply AI infusion. And AI infusion has got various levels of application, whether it is at the level timing, time access being very low level latency at the edge to all the way to the whole value chain across the whole process of fulfilling the mining contract. So this is an interesting area where technology continues to be introduced in stages in a defined way as we start to address the mine of the future or the digital mine. It's interesting, a few months ago, or I should say maybe a year or so ago, John, I'll ask to introduce himself now, started talking about millisecond mining. And everyone was laughing at him and says, don't be stupid, nobody manages their mines at millisecond intervals. But as you were talking there, you know, it is just true that the intervals at which we manage things are becoming smaller and smaller and smaller by the moment, <laughs> almost. So it's certainly a very interesting topic to be to be talking about, and we look forward to your perspectives, uh, Bish. John, over to you. Introduce yourself to us, Vicky. Good morning. Yeah, MP, thank you for the opportunity. John McGinnon, I head up strategy in MineRP. I've been with the company for the last 13 years and intrinsically involved in the whole original strategy, pulling together, shall I say, legacy applications, the way in which we used to do things and cannibalizing all of that over a 13-year period to get to the point of constructing a platform that can really serve the needs of mining versus a suite of products that serves the needs of the vendor. We had that suite of products and it really locks in customers and there's no upside to them in terms of being able to do integration. So I started my career in audit and accounting, Deloitte, way back many moons ago. Having grown up on mines all over the country, I decided to get out of the mining industry. I wasn't going to go there. The very first customer I had as an audit customer turned out to be De Beers Mines, and that just put me straight back into mining. So of the 35 years that I've been working, 25 of those have been mining-related. Having finished audit articles, I got out, I joined a steel mill and got involved in MES systems and SCADA systems. And that's when the reality hit me very, very early on in my career. The disconnect between what you're doing in the operation and what you're doing in the money was evident back then in the manufacturing industry. Having seen that grow up over the last 35 years and the integration and the level of integration in manufacturing, it was, uh, to me, it was a simple model to say, why don't we mimic that and use the standards and the methods, et cetera, in manufacturing and mimic that into mining? It, it, the only difference being in a manufacturing world, you take product to the factory. In mining, you take the factory to the product. So your development, your continuous development, if you can describe it as that and do the parallel innovation. So it was something that we realized very early on. No single company in the world can do it. It needs partners and it needs friends. And that's where we were fortunate yes. in terms of being able to work with IBM and get a greater understanding. We address, although a very scientifically complex part of the mining value chain, we address a small part of the big data. We've got the big data for mining, the, the technical activities together there. IBM's got control over everything else that you need in that domain. 
and then the ability to infuse, as Vish has said, artificial intelligence. So to me, a great part of my growing up, and I'm an ex-IBM as well, has been this last phase of cooperating with IBM and understanding what is possible. I remember a few years ago, John, probably tongue in the cheek, said, you know, if IBM made cars, he would buy an IBM car because he would trust it to work and keep on working. And, and I think that says a lot about IBM's understanding of technology as well as their approach to innovation. So, so Dirk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off and pass this right back to you, if you don't mind. John has talked a little bit about the integration of economics and, and technology a little bit. But of course, IBM has a very specific view of the future of mining and where mining is going and how it will adopt uh, technologies and ad adapt itself to, to properly make use of technology into the future. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the major streams, maybe, or the big themes in IBM's view of the future of mining? Yeah, sure. So, so like you said, I'm going to put this in the context of technology. I'm not going to lecture on the mining industry in its broader sense. I'll leave it to other people. But in context of technology and what we've seen in recent and not so recent times, right? So like I said earlier, I've been involved with the mining industry for quite a while now. And, and we do see um, a change and we expect more change to come. And, and it's got to do with the economic reality driving technology as, a, as an enabler in many ways. Given the trends like market volatility, complex access to resources, and, and, and with that I mean both minerals and human resources, and the resulting continuous cost cutting have become what we like to call these days the new normal, digitization and automation have really become a fundamental pillar for success. And I truly believe, together with many others, that we've reached the limits of feasibility to run the business without it. It's become a necessity. And, and I'm not just talking about innovation initiatives done at the side by a special digital team delivering proof of concepts without consequence, or maybe even worse, something you delegate to your equipment, your, uh, your OEM vendors. It's become a domain you take full control of as you are the owner of the data you generate and you have the duty to, to your shareholders to bring its value to bear, if I can summarize it that way. Yeah. So that's an interesting term that you use there, this, this whole proof of concept without consequence. You know, it's interesting that minds are rejecting digital projects sometimes because of failure. But actually, they should be just taking it more seriously and almost taking more, more of a professional business approach to it. It's not a toy that we're building here. It's re-looking at the whole way that the industry will, will function in the, into the future. Or, or maybe let me go to Vish first. Obviously, some of the things that IBM is known for is this whole incredible approach towards new innovation and technology innovation. And we hear of hundreds of patents and thousands of patents that get registered every year. What is IBM's approach to innovation? And then specifically uh, within the mining industry, how do you look at the adoption of innovations and some of the obstacles to innovation when it comes to digital twinning and, and the whole relationship between the technology, people, process angles in mining? Definitely, we are at a point where a perfect storm is taking place with data explosion and communications evolving in terms of the whole 5G and be able to make communication and data coming together in general. And how does this drive in the context of mining, whether it is related to the whole 
planning and scheduling to execution of the schedule can be now digitized and represent both the process and the equipments which are participating in the process to make this happen. So the, the confluence of the whole communications merging and data explosion coming together and be able to deal with the data and be able to derive insights into the data, which is very critical. It, mm. it started with data, but getting insights, valuable insights in terms of how is my equipment functioning or how is my mind functioning in terms of adding exogenous data like weather, how that can be influencing the behavior of the mind. So we are starting to see what if models and what will enable that what if models is where digital twin starts to come to play depicting the equipment and the equipment participating in a process and be able to rapidly do what if is what mm -hmm. the digital twin brings but also to be able to view into what if across not really not just a particular part of the mind but the end-to-end -end view of the mind but we need both vectors and the digital twin because the equipment manufacturer the oem says this is how the equipment should perform optimally given the conditions like adding an attachment yeah. What is the value of the attachment? What if I accelerate? And depending on the mine, whether it's underground mine or above, above mines. So mm -hmm. digital twin starts to enable this with the compute power at various levels, whether all the way at the equipment level itself, because it could be in a disconnected mode. What should I do given the current conditions? What is the best recommendation? The, the discussion about the current conditions that, that obviously also brings to mind always the picture of, you know, <laughs> the metaphor of someone drinking from a fire hydrant. So the whole ability to manage big data and make sense of it, it must be key in your in your strategy, right? Definitely. And data is distributed. Data is not set. That doesn't mean data is centralized. There is systems of record where data is going to be kept. Hmm. How do I meaning contextually bring them together in the particular situation is very hmm. key. And contextually involves communications which is also changing rapidly. Yeah. John, when Minor P talks about context, one of, one of the uh, most important denominators of context is space. So, so we talk about Minor P as a spatial ERP for, for the mining world. And why don't you jump in a little bit, maybe just respond quickly to what Vicious comment about the growth of data and velocity and variety and so on. And then talk to us a little bit about the growth of the industrial internet of things, specifically as it applies to short interval control in mining. Oh, thank you, MPA. I enjoy the fact that we're starting the discussion by framing big data because that frames the reality we face in mining. And if I can just yeah. take a little step away from, from technology and back to, to mining and why we need digitalization in this industry. Originally, mine control hierarchies were built as knowledge hierarchies. So an individual could ask a person above him in the organization or above her in the organization with five or seven or 10 years more experience when they got stuck with a problem. That works fine when you're working on analog data feeds and you know what's happened underground at the end of each shift. But when the world starts accelerating and we start implementing sensors and switching in from a data infrastructure underground, then things rapidly start running out of control. A human does not have the ability to take all these different feeds in the amount of time available and be able to make a knowledge-driven decision that can be actionable within the time frame where it can influence your plan and influence where you're going as an operation. We, for the advent of uh, sensors underground, 
more so than, than surface, where there has been information available and there's line of sight information available. We've seen the velocity of data coming in from underground operations increased by hundreds to thousands of times. When you take that into consideration and you look at the volume of data that's coming and the decision making that needs to happen to determine the veracity of data and the applicability to a specific business process, then we realize very quickly we've gone past the point of humans assisting humans in making decisions. We've moved to where we are now. Humans are assisting machines. And what I mean by that, we're running around building CAD-based systems, etc., versus getting to the point where through the use of machine learning, we can get machines to assist the human, to pre-think, to process these terabytes of data that are flowing in from underground or from mining operations and being able to contextualize that and help drive decisions off the back of it. We've gone through a phase in mining in the recent past, the past three years really, where people were doing digitalization projects for the sake of ticking the box, being able to say to the market, we've also done it. We've been there and we've, we've got to tick the boxes. The reality is very, very different when one looks at what we're doing from a mining angle. The fact that everything is still, and we spoke earlier about the volume of data and the rate of data, but we're still taking four months to plan a mine each year. Yeah. So that's response capability framed on the one side, and on the other side, the flow of data, these two just don't meet up. So it's going to be very interesting going further down in our discussion, but the principle here being we need to get the data to the machine to be able to assist us in decision-making simply from a mining angle due to the volume of data it's going to eat us and the rate at which it's hitting us. So with the whole industry of things, growth has helped us a lot or, or is helping a lot to understand the current mining conditions underground or, or in the mine, in the pit, and how we should respond to that. That is now all of a sudden started a focus on short interval control and where short interval control used to be a factory thing maybe Dirk you can comment on this is all of a sudden every mine that we talk to talks about short interval control and how they can respond to changing conditions in the pit right in the shift that they're doing the work or even respond to changing market demands and market signals or, or changes in contract negotiations while they are doing their short-term planning. Dirk, maybe you can talk a little bit about this whole concept of mining to demand. Absolutely, Epi. So I remember when we met first time, it was in Rio in, in Brazil, and you guys, it was you and Peter who were presenting to us, and you were presenting the foundations of MineRP and what you stand for. And that's when we first made the statement, wow, this is mine on demand, right? So for, for a for a mining company to be able to mine with the order book in hand and rerun the mine plan and have the agility to adjust operational execution is a, is a concept which has tremendous value for the clients and the shareholders. It's got repercussions from a process, from a people and technology standpoint, but technology today and what you guys have as a suite has a potential to really facilitate this mine on demand concept. It's available to implement, provided you go for agile scenario-based mine planning, which John explained just now, and the short interval control is right at the heart of it. Properly integrated with operation, like we said, at the one side, and the enterprise data, the order data, the market data, the pricing data, and so on, on the other. And ultimately, what it will do is it will allow you to maximize the margin you make per day, which is ultimately the objective you're going for, which is actually what your shareholders will be looking for. Right, so it's interesting that as we as we talk about mining to demand, that means that we need to be able to also think of our mine plan as an integrated 
unit, not a separate plans for the short term plan and then another plan for the medium term and another plan for the long term. John, you, you've coined this phrase that you that you call thinking of our next shift as just the first shift in our life of mind. You want to comment on that? Yeah, in principle, the next activity you perform is the next activity of the rest of the life of mind. And to us, it was critical to plan accordingly. You can't have a strategic scenario plan and then have a disconnect between that and a budget plan. The budget plan feeds down into a schedule, which uh, very often in mining is a third system that's brought in. And all of those from strategic plan all the way down to your schedule are really theoretical. You've not seen the face. You don't know what the conditions are. You don't know where you are in terms of the exact reality that you're facing. So our approach there was to say it's a single plan, different levels of granularity within the single plan, but any plan that you build for a mine consists of the standard operating procedures at the lowest level of work that needs to be done. If you do it in that manner, then you can build a response model for short interval control changes that may come up. We talk about planning against dimensions, so everything's drawn nice and neatly, neat lines and geometries in the CAD system. When you mine and you start surveying the actuals, then you see it's a very different thing. It's irregular shape. It's irregular faces that you're faced with in the mine. And it's about bringing that information to surface in the amount of time that you can drive actionable insights of that data, where you can make a difference. And then the ability to integrate between the mining aspect and the financial control, which includes logistics, contractual conditions. Well, you know, we use a silly example here of a piece of equipment breaking underground. As opposed to everybody running, whether it's the planner's problem or the maintenance guy's problem or whose problem, a system should be looking at this and saying, right, you've lost a, an LHD. The impact of that LHD would be that you will not be able to fulfill the order that you're busy with right now in time. Or these are the three options you have. You can take an LHD from development. It might delay development slightly, but at least it'll get you to fulfill the order. Alternatively, there's a different order that you can fulfill that, uh, or that you're working on at the moment that has lax contractual conditions, not as tight as the primary one. And you can redirect equipment from there to the primary. And in each case, cost the outcome. Tell, you, tell, tell the, the operator what the impact on profitability is going to be and let him pick or her pick from one of those three scenarios. These are the type of things we're driving to. And immediately when a scenario is picked and an action changes in the short interval control space, it pushes that back into the schedule. Analytics see how you can make up that time in the next week or in the next 21 days. And should that not be possible, it pushes it back into the planning scenario. That's the yeah. level of integration that's possible and being done right now. So we, when we talk about mind to demand, and the demand is the customer order on the one side, the mill on the other, and the mine uh, as the origin. This integration is what the industry needs to start adopting now. Now, now you've, you, you talked about a lot of interesting things when it comes to uh, being able to respond almost immediately, like a human does a knee-jerk response. Vish, when we had our pre-discussion in planning, you talked about levels of analytics and the ability to make decisions at the edge. Of course, that is something that, that IBM does a lot of work on as well. So how do you see this decision-making, this edge-based decision-making working in, in the mining environment? Yeah, clearly, it, as, this, as we start to get married, the digital and the physical world together, 
in how we start to bring this responsiveness within the realm of engineering and physics. So the edge becomes an important aspect where it has got some compute capability, like if you take onboard electronics and the telematics within a particular equipment, you can make certain localized decisions within that area based on its conditions. So pushing the analytics and the edge it has certain capabilities, but it, it, it can collaborate with other distributed capability of that particular mine, maybe at the plant level. So you can start to collaborate in those decision-making processes. So one is data, the other is being able to collaborate on a process, and the process is determining the what-ifs that, that, that can be done in, in that area. And EDGE facilitates that kind of capabilities, as I said, within an equipment telematics or the environment conditions or the connectivity conditions, all this within the realm of engineering and physics, which mine RP knows well. Uh, what is and then, of course, of course, sorry, all of this starts to rely more and more, or I should say, brings in machine learning and deep learning more and more into the picture, uh, because now we don't have to, to depend on human decision making in all the instances anymore, but we can start looking whether it's heuristically at previous decisions or using other approaches looking at the data and making intelligent decisions without having to involve humans all the time. Yeah, and that gets into how we start to learn, how it becomes yes. iteratively cognitive. And that's a journey which takes uh, data being a key, but data may not be available. So can we do transfer learning? I learned in mind A this way, and can I learn in mind B? Is it similar? So these kind of things are in the realm of possible as we look into the horizon. Yeah, I remember when I first saw the IBM Watson PC participate in the Jeopardy show in the USA, and then when it eventually won that show, it struck me for the first time that this is not this is not science fiction talk anymore. It is real that we can start making use of artificial intelligence and machine learning in real world environments and get common sense answers and even beyond common sense answers back from machines. Um, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Gentlemen, we've kind of run out of time here. There's so much more that I wanted to say. Derek, I'm going to I'm going to give you the last word if you uh, if you will and and just to talk to us a little bit about the fact that you know, you you speak to a mine and just about everyone recognizes that there's, there's got to be value in all of these fancy technologies and so on. But do you guys find that there's real value when it is deployed at scale? And does it really work or is it just fancy talk? Yeah, absolutely. That's the main challenge. And you, you put your finger right on the thing. I think we're all convinced and I've been convinced for a while now that machine learning, deep learning, data analytics is of high value, but we need to move away from proving the point. Call it the, the what and the why, proving the point that yes, this is a value, which is a POC kind of world where you take a subset of data and you run it through the machine learning models and outcomes a tremendous result and people say, look, you know, it's working. No, it's not working at all. You need to be able to scale it. Otherwise it will not have impact. From day one, you need to be able to think through in detail, how will I bring this to work in a scaled kind of environment? Otherwise the impact will be next to nothing. If you just do a PLC or a small kind of pilot kind of project, you circumvent the two biggest issues you would always come across when you go for a full scale implementation, which is the data. It's, it's nice to get a, a small subset of data and clean it up and, and run it and rerun it. 
It's different when you go for a full plant or full factory kind of data set and you need to operationalize it when you're going forward. And the other side is the, the human uh, part of it, right? So will people actually buy into this and, and use it? You need to involve people for both the data reasons, the subject matter expert input in to the data sets and what they mean and what to read into it, as well as the, uh, call it the change management impact and people who actually will have to will be using the system or involved from day one. So scaling is key. How will we make this work? on a plant level or a larger scale. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Gentlemen, we've said a lot. Thanks for your perspectives. If people want to get get a hold of you, Dirk or even Vish, how do they get a hold of, uh, of IBM? Because getting a, a hold of IBM seems to be such a big monster to talk to. How do they go about doing that? Is there a specific website where they can learn more about IBM's mining uh, endeavors? Absolutely. We have uh, Part of the uh, IBM website is industry specific and you will find everything we've done in mining uh, right there. Fantastic. I'm going to close this off and ask you each, and maybe I'll start with you, John, to, to just tell us a little bit on a personal scale. It's always interesting to, to know what people are, are interested in when they're not at work. So what's on your bedside table? What are you reading on at the moment? I'm reading a book called The Fortunes of Africa, a 5,000 year history of wealth, greed and endeavor by a person called Martin Meredith, who has really done in-depth research on this continent. And it is so beneficial in terms of looking at mining to understand where one of the key mineral continents, shall I say, the development of that as an economic front. Very, very interesting book. It's lying here for a long time in my bedside cabinet, 750 odd pages of it. It <laughs> sounds like a good one. Over to you, Vish. What, what are you reading? I'm, I'm more interested in the area of philosophy and working on the, how do I do transcend from metaphysical to transcendental models. And that applies both in physical and in metaphysical worlds. So it's, oh, a, it's a seeking one. So, yep. <laughs> That's interesting. There are a lot of thinking uh, going on these days on metaphysics and emerging uh, consciousness, etc. So it'll be interesting. Maybe we should have a whole podcast on that some other day. <laughs> yes. Um, Dirk, over to you. I'm uh, I'm reading a book which is called, it's a Dutch book called Brouw Itself, which means in English, brew it yourself. I'm, I've actually discovered the art of brewing in recent times, being a Belgian, it's, it's part of the culture, as you can imagine. <laughs> I'm, I'm making my own cider and I'm making my own gin. And, uh, and so I'm kind of refining the process, if you will, and there's lots of good literature about it. So... You know, if you guys make it to Antwerp, I more than happily give you a tasting of some excellent homebrewed cider and gin. It's good stuff. That sounds like an invitation. It so is, hopefully, it does. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully one of these days, the whole COVID-19 pandemic will be suitably behind us all. And for those of our listeners who have wondered about the dogs barking and the children shouting and the birds whistling in the background of all of our discussions, that's what you get when we're recording these things from home. So enjoy it with us because it's not as bad as it could have been. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you all for participating. It's been great. And hopefully we can do this soon again. For sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was the Minor P podcast then. And we look forward to speaking to you again. Next round, we'll be talking to Microsoft as well and get their perspective on the background processing as well as the integration of office solutions and mind planning solutions and execution solutions as well. Looking forward to that. Until next time. Bye.